So um, we'll begin this morning with public reading, public reading. Um, we may not have thought about this before, but the reading of Scripture is absolutely essential in our worship. When we read the Bible in worship, we are imitating the worship services that are recorded for us in Scripture. Can anyone think of a particular example in Scripture where the Scriptures were read in the hearing of the people? Ezra, right, the post-exilic revival under Ezra and and uh, Nehemiah, they read the scriptures publicly before the entire congregation. And that's a, an amazing proof text on why we should have children in church, because they always had children in church. The idea of sending off the unevolved, um, the unevolved ones who haven't yet activated their autonomous wills by crossing over the imaginary accountability age, um, sending them off to Xbox world because they honestly aren't able to receive and believe and make decisions, is just a new thing. That's not something that has ever been around in Christianity. Um, Children have always been a part of the covenant community, and they sat and they heard the reading of the word. And then what happens after the reading of the word? Ezra says he gave the sense to the people. God's always had teachers. Um, Levites uh, was what they were called in the Old Testament that explain the sense of the words. Men who, um, who study in, in language and in grammar and etc. So, but the public reading of the Word of God is absolutely essential. God uses not only the preaching of the Word of God, He uses that especially, but He also uses the reading of the Word of God. But if you're honest, isn't it true that we drift off during the reading? We don't really offer up a, a quality sacrifice to the Lord when it comes to the reading of Scripture, right? Anybody want to testify? Anybody want to be vulnerable and, and, and be honest about what happens between your ears while the Bible is being read? Tim zones out, okay. Tim zones out. Anyone else? Uh, <laughs> spend the entire time wondering what translation he's reading from <laughs> well don't wonder too much about me I read from the ESV and then occasionally I correct it, correct it with the Geneva or the Greek or something like that but, uh, but I read from the ESV um, what else anybody else anybody else prepare their diaper bag um, you know or, or get their bible and their coat and their, and their stuff together and get it up under their arms ready to leave Right? I mean, we wouldn't do that if God were speaking to us, would we? But we are doing that while God is speaking to us. Right? We really are. We really are doing other things, distracted, prep work. It's, the reading of the scriptures is almost like a transition point. It's, you know how in the Jimmy Fallon show when he's done with one guest, the band, and they do like a transition, and then, and then it dies down, the crowd applauds, and then he's like, hey, coming up next, or after the commercial. It's a, we use the Bible reading as the Roots Band. As a, that's what they're called, right? Or Paul Schaefer, you know, for, for the older folks. We use the Bible reading and we use prayer, which we're going to talk about in a second, as our, as our segues. And that's just, that's simply terrible, right? We have, um, we have, by default, come to the worship of God, and, and we have, by default, believed that it, it is a performance with highs and lows and segues and transitions and 
It's just that's the way our world is. That's the way we are. And we have to, uh, we have to rewire ourselves, right? Um, so the public reading of Scripture, absolutely essential. When we do that, we're imitating the worship services of, of Scripture. And, um, and God uses the reading as a means of grace. Reading is not always easy. But good reading, um, you can tell, especially if you're a, a professional communicator or word person, you can tell when the reader has prepared and when the reader has not prepared. You can tell when they're reading it for the first time. You can tell when they don't understand what they're reading because they don't capture the transitions properly. They don't recognize the commas. They don't have a different tone when they read prepositional phrases as opposed to the main clause of the, of the text. They didn't prepare. They prepared their sermon, or I prepared my sermon, but then I didn't prepare the reading, as an example. Now, that's not true of me. As far back as I can remember, I do prepare the reading, but you can tell when a public speaker doesn't prepare the reading, right? And you're going to see in a second when we talk about prayer, you can tell when they didn't prepare the prayer. Their sermons are concise and and thoughtful and uh, planned, but their prayers are rambling, monotonous and everyone is just packing their bags right so reading is not always easy but good interpretation if you've interpreted the text properly when you read the text it's going to come out in the reading right so i'll give you an example verily verily i say unto you okay now let's emphasize different aspects of this and you tell me the theological meaning verily verily I say to you, okay, what's important? The verily. I emphasize the verily, right? And what does verily mean? Truly, from verity or truth. Truly, truly. It means what I'm saying here, what, what is about to be said is true, all right? It's double true, two witnesses, double true. Now, but what if I do this? I say, truly, truly, I say unto you. Now, what's the theological meaning behind that? The focus is on the I, as one with authority, right? As one who preaches not like the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Who holds the authority in and of himself, in his person. But then what if I say, verily, verily, I say unto you, right? Well, now that changes the meaning as well. Now we're emphasizing the fact that he reveals his word to us. If we focus on the you, verily, verily, I say unto you, it means the audience needs to pay special attention to what he's having to say. All of that is, is communicated in language, and you do receive it. You just may or may not be conscious of it um, all the time. But here's the question. In that particular Bible verse, what does the Bible emphasize? Well, the Bible emphasizes the word I. That's what's emphasized, and obviously verily is emphasized because it's repeated twice. So it's truly, truly, but if I were to translate that literally, it'd be truly, truly, I, I say unto you. Because there's an implied I and there's an explicitly stated I, which is one of the ways Greek makes emphasis. And so the emphasis is actually on the I. Jesus is, is a demonstrating that he has a unique authority over the scribes and the Pharisees and the people that, who are uh, you know, teaching in the synagogues. So you see how that can all be communicated in reading, and that's just a simple example, a very simple example. 
And so if any preachers are listening, they need to prepare before they read, right? Know your text, know your text, and that way your reading uh, aligns with the meaning of the text, and you can be a faithful preacher and a faithful reader. Amen? But also, if this is all true of the reading, then you have to do just as much work with the hearing, You'll never hear any sort of interpretation. You'll never hear the emphasis. You'll never hear those things if you're zoned out, right? If you're shuffling around or, you know, um, folding up the umbrella or whatever it is you're, you're doing, you will miss all of those things. And it's unfortunate. Um, so we have to make sure we're putting our best foot forward, laying our, our best offering on, on the altar, so to speak. Uh, when we read the Word of God, and when we hear the word of God, putting your entire soul into it, putting your whole heart into it. And if, if you lack the ability, you, your flesh is weak, then pray and ask God for, for help. But I promise you, I could read something and you'd be paying attention, right? You'd be paying attention. If it was a little controversial, a little risque, you know, oh, you'd be paying attention. Or if it was offensive to you, you would hang on every word. And recite it back in your, in, your, in your mind as you lay abed in, at, at night, you know, not able to sleep. You'd get it. You'd get it, I promise you. It's, so I, I don't believe it's a lack of ability or the weakness of the flesh. I think it's more of a weakness of the will. So ask God to help you with that. Did you, want, did you have some? Go ahead. That's all right. Sure. The, the question is, how can we determine if our kids are able to listen well? Meaning, when should we expect them to pay attention instead of eating biscuits and coloring? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I think when the, I would say this, this is obviously a general statement and an opinion, and every child is different, and every situation is different. And I can eat a, a cookie and pay attention at the same time, although I wouldn't do that in the immediate presence of God, right? Because he is our heavenly father, right? <laughs> we, should have, we, shouldn't have, we shouldn't come before the Lord in Lord's Day worship uh, flippantly, munching on cookies and, and slurping sodas. And, no, we, that's, that sort of stuff should be set aside for when, we are, when the call to worship comes forth, um, then we need to, to believe what the scriptures say about the, the ecclesiastical gathering, that the Lord is among us and that it is a unique gathering. And so we want to, you know, we want to dress nice. We want to brush our hair and brush our teeth. That's what you would do if you were to present yourself before a king. You know, even if you were to present yourself before your boss, you'd do all of those things, right? So you wouldn't be munching a cookie and, uh, while you're having an important meeting with him, would you? No, of course not. You wouldn't want to appear disrespectful. And so, it, really, we just, do we believe that we're gathering in the presence of the Lord and that he is speaking to us? Yes. And, uh, and so the kids need to be taught that. And they, the kids need to be, that needs to be explained to them. And you, when you have family worship, you ought to practice it. So now we're going to have the Bible reading. And so you need to, okay, I, I do, we let you color or uh, color the sermon or draw the points or write stuff during the sermon. It's, I mean, it's 30 minutes, you're a kid, you're, your flesh is weak, that's fine, all right? We won't go into how attentive they are at certain other times in their life, but, you know, they're sitting there, 
But when the Bible reading comes, say, hey, family, you know, family, it's, we're going to read the Bible. Let's, let's eyes, eyes forward. Let's focus. And you just train them in that. You're not going to beat them up when they, when they slip, right? You just train them in that. And I would do that from, the, from as early as possible, from as early as possible. And I would never think that they can't understand and they can't believe. I promise you, especially in our church, the kids know quite a bit, right? They really do. And they perceive quite a bit. And and remember that when, uh, when Jesus tells us the model of faith, he doesn't use an adult as an example. He uses a child, right? So good question, good question. Um, so what are some practical things we should do? Well, we need to be in our seat and ready before the call to worship, right? If at all possible. Um, we need to, and here's in my notes, I already said this, but teach our children to honor the reading Right, maybe open up their Bibles, you know. But you don't have to necessarily open up your own personal Bible. We're in we're in a church. It's a corporate setting. the The minister is reading it on your behalf as a representative, and so you don't necessarily have to read it yourself from your own personal Bible. And I've never appreciated the whole, uh, you know, you need to have your Bible out just to check up on him, just in case he tries to slip something in there. Gosh, if that's you, go to a different church. I mean, goodness, <laughs> like you're wasting your morning. All right, so moving on, any other questions about public reading? Is that helpful, I hope? Now, there's a lot of public reading. It's all very intentional. It's on purpose, and it's modeled after the worship services that we see in Scripture. There's a reading of the Word for the call to worship. There's a reading of the Word um, sometimes through confession. There's a reading of the Word um, before the sermon. There's a reading of the Word before the sacraments, baptism, and Lord's Supper. And there's sometimes a reading of the Word toward the end of the service in a benediction or a paraphrase or an or a implied text of Scripture. So there's a lot of Bible reading in a worship service. And so if, if you can train your heart to focus on that and to sacrifice to the Lord your ears, um, you'll get a lot more out of, of the service. Amen? And the, uh, the hardest one, by the way, is probably the call to worship. And uh, I know, I feel for Pastor Scott because I know he's reading and he's put work and thought into this and he looks out and people are just all over the place. I mean, the back door looks like a saloon door um, in the Wild West. And, uh, and there's, there's kids taking three, four trips to the bathroom. It's like, are we in the presence of God or not? Like, we, the adults have got to be more adult, right? And, um, and this, of course, starts with the pastor saying things, like, like what I'm saying right now. Um, so hopefully we can spread this, uh, this beautiful gospel of the ability to gather with the Lord in his presence and to hear him speak to the rest of the church so that they, they honor it as well. Amen? All right, let's move on to the next topic. How long was that? That wasn't too long. Now we're going to do pastor-led prayer. And a lot of what we just said about Bible reading applies to prayer. But what are the different types of prayer in a worship service? Anybody want to list them out? They're all very thoughtful. Well, you have an offertory, very good, where we are offering the offering to Jesus. That's right. Pastor Scott prays on our behalf, representing us. That's why he says things like we right? Uh, there's a prayer of confession, and we have an individual prayer of confession because that's true, but then we also have a corporate prayer of confession because we are, God deals with us not only as individuals, but as covenantal 
um, units, a covenantal church and covenantal families. So as, head of the, as the head of the household, you may need to confess some things over your own family. Your house is a wreck. It's a disaster. There's waste or there's a lack of discipline or if there's too much uh, television or if, uh, you know, the habits are just not well in the home, then the head of the household would confess that on behalf of the, of the household. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's a good thing you should always be doing. Um, so there's corporate confession, individual confession, and that's going to involve prayer. Uh, any others? Invocation. Yep, the invocation, the benediction at the end. There is the prayer of illumination, which is what is prayed right before the sermon, asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds, because we understand that if there's no Holy Spirit, then it's useless, right? Um, and there's a prayer that's a, a gathering prayer or a call to worship at the very beginning. All of these things should be thoughtful, thought out, um, not rambling, not redundant, and everyone should be listening just as hard as they possibly can. And, uh, and, and not um, shuffling about and packing bags and, um, or whatever, or taking sips from the Starbucks. We're in prayer to Almighty God. All right? Amen? <clears throat> any other questions? Any questions on prayer? What about the postures of prayer? Um, do we get to pick whatever posture we want in worship? You know, the reformed reformed Christians have held to what's called the regulative principle of worship, and it applies to all of life, not just worship, but. And it is essentially this, that if, you are, if the Bible doesn't say to do it, then it's a sin to do it. Of course, if the Bible says not to do it, that's a sin, right? Everyone agrees with that one. But the question is whether or not, if, they, if the Bible doesn't say it, do you get to then pick how you will worship God? Um, well, the Reformed faith has always said, no, you don't, that's a sin, the rest of evangelicalism has no concept of that, though. They don't, they don't think of it that way. They, and this applies to all of life. They, they think if the Bible doesn't explicitly mention it, it's not a sin. But that's not true. Um, there's implications. There's the clear and natural consequence of commandments and truths. There's also other categories than sin. There's natural and unnatural. There's wise and foolish. So... You know, things are, it gets complicated. But, um, but in worship, we don't just do whatever we feel that we should do. We are not the, uh, the artists who express our inner desires and our inner feelings and exhibit authenticity, right? No. None of those things. That is all enlightenment thinking. It has nothing to do with the Bible, right? So what are some postures that are practice in scripture just one at a time kneeling. kneeling that's right kneeling that's a great posture it's a great posture if you kneel in prayer then god is pleased you know if, if it's done in faith obviously um it's not easy to kneel in here obviously right it, in fact if you're not on the front pew it might be impossible um unless you're a child right <laughs> yeah that would yeah that would be difficult but they're, they're totally good and fine now, but with kneeling, I, I do think that it, it would be better 
if, if the, the, um, the pastors led the congregation in these things as, re- as representatives and not that everyone was doing their own special thing, like I'm, I'm more of a kneeler and the other person's more of a hand raiser and I'm more of kind of like this and I'm kind of like this and we all just express our own, you know, we're like, we're not, we're like jazz around here, improv, you know. You know, it'll, it'll catch you going in different directions. We're not, it's not like classical music where everything's structured. It's, it's improv, right? You know, but that only goes so far and you have chaos, right? So, but the point is we're a corporate community. And so you do generally take your cues from the, uh, the people leading the worship service. And that's, I think that's good common sense. Although, obviously, there's nothing wrong with some individual expression and posture and body language not anything wrong but you do have to balance I think those two particular things Um, I remember once we had a man in our church and he was insistent on everyone raising their hands in church he wasn't an elder he wasn't a pastor he was not even a good member Um, he was rebellious constantly and had no concept of authority or anything like that and he would always be just thrusting his hands in the air raising his hands raising his hands and I, knew, I sensed the spirit that he was of, and uh, although I think he lacked self-awareness in that. And so I asked him, I said, you know, are you raising your hands to try to get everyone else to do it? Like to like pressure them or shame them or something? And uh, he, would, he would sit on the front row and do it. And uh, part of the problem was that his hands were over the screen, so other people were not able to read the words, which was essential, Right? <laughs> And so he's like, yeah, I, I, I am doing it to try to influence the congregation. I was like, man, that's not how you should be doing this. That's not how you worship. That's how you dominate. And you aren't called to even volunteer, much less dominate, right? And so all of these things you've got to think through, consider your own heart, um, consider the congregation as a whole, but kneeling is good. And I do think, we, I do think maybe one day we'll be able to kneel, but we certainly... Can't make a, much of a habit of it with, <laughs> with, uh, with the pews as close as they are together. Yes? So it can be done. Hey, maybe we go through enough trial, people will figure it out, right? <clears throat> Thank you, Brother Henry. And I, you, your knees, are the, you have good knees or... No, you have bad knees too. So, if, if brother if brother Henry can kneel, anyone can kneel. All right. So, uh, yes, Miss Paula. I, I have a question, and this may be more like a one-on-one, but I'd like to ask it corporately. I uh, feel led by the Holy Spirit to kneel, uh, and that just started a few, uh, maybe a couple of months ago mm-hmm. uh, during the during. The, Based on my teaching, and Pastor Scott's teaching. Based on Good, I think that's great. So, yet I want it to be, like you said, there is a hierarchy, so oftentimes mm-hmm. those things do need to Yeah, be. so, so you, we have to think through those things. Being, feeling led by the Spirit doesn't help. It isn't super helpful. No, it's, it's, it's certainly not conclusive. It's not. Um, it was led by your teaching. That's right. That's why, that's why I wanted to say that, because you're responding to my teaching, and I, and I think you're doing it well. I also think that you're, you're not making a show out of it which is important. I think that's another principle in worship. Um, Paul says for, for ladies not to wear certain types of hairstyles and certain types of clothing 
And the, the principle there is that you're not supposed to be ostentatious in, in service, in the way you dress or the way you appear. And that goes for men, too. You know, with, with men these days need to be warned about ostentation in dress as much as anyone. You want to dress nice for church, but you don't want to be ostentatious. Do y'all know, that, do y'all know what I mean by that? Foppish? You know that word? <laughs> That's an old word, foppish, right? Flashy. Like, Jesus is supposed to shine, right? So I think, I think the fact that you are you're on the front pew, so there's only like three of us that even see you. And I only saw you for the first time last week. So it's not ostentatious. I want to commend you for that. That's good. And uh, I, think, I think if I thought there was a problem, I would have told you. I think it's perfectly good and fine. But I also think it's important to say that you're, the posture of kneeling is a biblical posture. That's good. If you were standing on the pew then that wouldn't be good. Right? There's nowhere in Scripture where it says, praise him while standing on chairs. Um, I, I think we got to stay within, <laughs> with, within Scripture on that particular thing. So that's good. Um, and uh, so good. good. Good job. Good question. I'm praying out loud while everyone else is playing silently. Yes, so this is, this is what we're talking about. We, we are in a corporate gathering, and so you always have to consider that. And if you're a wife, you have to consider your husband. And if you're a kid, you have to consider your mom and your dad. Like, you are in a family covenant as well. You may or may not have a, a family pew, or you might have two family pews, um, but, but you, you shouldn't be um, going off on, on crazy tangents and leaving your husband behind. Or as a kid, uh, leaving their family behind. So you have to consider that as well. And that, that doesn't mean there's no place for individual um, expression, obviously. But you just have to keep those things in balance and you have to think through those things. And you, what you don't want, the worst thing in the world, is to, to worship without self-awareness. Right? <laughs> like you, if, you, if you need to be aware of your motives, you know what I mean? And, and ask the Lord to search you on those particular things or else you'll be like that guy worshiping, just trying to dominate everybody and, uh, and not even aware of what he's doing until I ask the question. He just was, he's just going off a raw instinct and his instincts were bad. Right? So I think it's just something you, you have to think about. So uh, also, what are some other postures, though, that are, that are permissible in Scripture or, or actually commanded in Scripture? Yep, which is kneeling. Uh, maybe a, a species of kneeling, right? There, there is dancing in the, uh, in the progression, in the procession toward the, to the, toward the temple. Um, so maybe Aaron will start that for us. Um, hand raising, <laughs> no one looking around. <laughs> All right, we got it. We'll move on to the next subject. I think we, we beat that horse. All right. <clears throat> um, but, uh, but do prepare your hearts and your minds for Pastor Scott and other pastors to, to lead you in the postures of worship. Um, because we are a corporate gathering, I think that's great to do. And I do wish everyone came to Sunday school so they, they could be prepared. Maybe whenever it's happening and they're like, hey, what the heck's going on here? You can lean over and be like, you missed Sunday school, um, but I'll tell you what's going on here. You know, and I want to have grace for you, but I'll see you next Sunday, right? <laughs> Something like that. Not while we're praying, though, or Bible reading. <laughs> 